So we just finished Thanksgiving, and I am sure, especially listening to your prayers today, that you were all properly thankful, and that's a good thing. What I want to talk to you about today is not thankfulness, but joy. For those of you who have been around a while, I give a variation of this about once a year. This will be this year's variation. I was reading something online, and there was a quote by Thomas Sowell. He's an economist, very bright guy. And he said, we are living in an era when sanity is controversial, and insanity is just another viewpoint, and degeneracy only another lifestyle. And one of the things that you will get in trouble with in the secular society is for saying that the Word of God or the way God set things up is the right way. You will get people land on you like ducks on a June bug and say, how dare you be whatever the current thing is. Joy is a major theme in the Bible. And in fact, depending on what translation you use, there are over 500 references to joy in the Bible. That's even more than fear not. So God, I think, figures it's important. Furthermore, God commands us to be joyful. So if you go to Leviticus 23, verse 40, And you shall take on the first day of the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. Now notice, you shall rejoice and you shall celebrate. Rejoicing and celebration are two different things. You can tell. They're spelled differently. So he says, celebrate. That's the festival and all the stuff that you do, you know, the food and the dancing and, you know, whatever else you do for your celebration. But before that, he commands that you rejoice which is to say you come before him with joy. He says it again in Deuteronomy 16. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put in the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks of the Lord your God and the tribute of your freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give to the Lord as God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you in the place that the Lord your God shall choose. That's, of course, Shavuot, giving of the Torah. So twice there we're commanded to rejoice. It's a command. This is what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice. Sort of like that old joke that they used to do in bureaucracies. The beatings will not stop until the morale improves around here. So then in Deuteronomy 28, which is, of course, the curse stuff, all these curses shall befall you. They shall pursue you and overtake you until you are wiped out because you did not heed the Lord your God to keep the commandments and laws that he enjoined upon you. They shall serve as signs and proofs against you and your offspring for all time. Because you would not serve the Lord your God in joy and gladness over the abundance of everything. You shall have to serve in hunger, thirst, nakedness, lacking everything. The enemies whom the Lord will let loose upon you will put an iron yoke on your neck. In other words, the reason that you guys are going into exile is because you didn't serve the Lord with joy. Now, the question you should obviously ask yourselves is... How can God command you to be joyful? The answer to that is joy is not an emotion. 
Joy is not an emotion. Joy is something different. One of the things that he says in Deuteronomy is, I'm going to bless you. And if you don't serve me with joy when I'm blessing you, then you're going to go into exile. And what that says to me is that abundance and blessing are a test. Look at these United States. We have been greatly blessed. We have got bounty and money and power and wealth, all that kind of stuff, such as has never been seen in the history of mankind. There's never been anybody close. Go to the Roman Empire in its height. Go to the Babylonian. They didn't have anywhere near the power and wealth that we have. And look what's happening to us. You've got big chunks of society that are angry and grumpy and cursing God and everything else. So what God says here in Deuteronomy is when you are living in abundance because I have blessed you, if you don't serve me with joy, what's going to happen is you are going to become much like we are today, where you have got, as I say, overwhelming wealth and abundance, yet you are angry and bitter and nasty to each other and so forth. So one of the reasons God says in Deuteronomy is if you don't serve me with joy, this is what's going to happen to you. We can now observe that same thing happening to us in the United States. In other words, this is not just for Israel. Although Israel did fall into it and Israel did wind up going into exile several times. The deal about not serving with joy is you then start looking around at other people and you start falling into envy. I mean, a great deal of our political discourse in this country is nothing but envy. Oh, he shouldn't have that much money and I should have this and you should have that. So one of the pathologies of abundance is envy. And so what God is saying in Deuteronomy is if you don't learn how to rejoice and you don't learn to serve me with joy, what is going to happen is you're going to fall into bitterness and envy and that's going to lead you to violence and injustice. And when it gets to violent injustice, it's going to be right up to here and I'm not going to be able to stand the stench anymore and I'm going to send you into exile. That's what he's saying in Deuteronomy. It starts with joy. But when the joy goes, all of the rest of the pathologies follow as night follows day. So what he's doing in Deuteronomy is he's starting at the head of that spiral and he's saying right here, this is the head of the spiral. If you miss this one, if you miss the joy, then all of the rest of this stuff is going to cascade down. And that's what we can see in the United States today. Now, the other thing is, it turns out, and I'll develop this a little as we go, joy is your ultimate weapon against Satan, which is why Satan tries to destroy joy. Now, I said that joy is not an emotion. It is not. Emotions are fear, anger, happiness, all of those kinds of things. And emotions are wonderful. Everything we do comes bundled with an emotion. Every thought that you think comes bundled with an emotion. There are no neutral thoughts. It may not be a very strong emotion, but there's an emotion involved. You know, I've got bread here and soup here. Which one do I want? Oh, I like soup. That's an emotion. The choice between bread and soup is not a life-changing choice. Didn't say the emotion has to be strong, but there's always one there. 
And what we are is reasoning animals who use reason to justify the things we want to do emotionally. So what is joy and how do you get it? Joy comes from purpose, perspective, and relationship. Every instance of joy, there are 500 of them, so I didn't read them all, but basically every instance of joy is a community or a relational thing. So when it says rejoice, in order to rejoice, you've got to have a crowd. You've got to have more than just you. Let's look at First Peter, starting in verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua Messiah. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So what he's saying there is, your life has been hard and perhaps at times miserable, but you are rejoicing in your relationship to God through the blood of Yeshua. Notice we got two things. Miserable life. Things are really tough. But on the other hand, you are rejoicing. So you have these emotions over here that are going sideways, but you're still rejoicing. Continuing to read. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So notice he's got over here on one side the tough life you're leading and over here the joy that you feel in the relationship that you have with God. That's what I said. Joy is not an emotion. It is a state of being. And you get that state of being by understanding who you are in Yeshua, who you are in your community, and having a relationship and a purpose. And if you have a relationship with God and a purpose, you then are able to know joy even in the face of affliction. Go to James. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Notice the separation of joy from your circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. You can have good circumstances. It is not necessary that you be flattened like a bug every 20 minutes. I am not teaching grimness here. What the scripture is emphasizing is the separation of joy from emotion. And there will be lots and lots of times in your life when you experience happiness. That's an emotion. That's wonderful. But there will be times when you are not happy, but you should still be able to experience joy at those times. That's what the scripture is emphasizing. 
It is not saying that you got to wear a hair shirt the rest of your life in order to be holy. I mean, there are people who believe that, but I'm not one of them. So, emotions are transient. Remember I said every thought comes with an emotion. And emotions are transient by design. The poster child for that, for all of you women who have given birth, that's a really tough thing to go through. But once you have finished that process, you know the joy of having brought a new life into the world. And I've heard women say all sorts of awful things to their husband at that time. Sort of a cliche, as a matter of fact. But once that's done, the emotion passes. One of the things that is, again, a cliche is for a young man learning to ride a horse. And when you get thrown off the horse, what's the advice? Get right back on. Because if you dwell on the emotion of landing on your third point of contact and dwell in that emotion, then what's going to happen is it's going to mess up your horsemanship for the rest of your life. What you've got to recognize is those emotions are transient and you've got to get past them and they will go away and they're designed to do that. Anybody ever been in an automobile accident? I have. Driving down the Autobahn in Germany at 2 o'clock in the morning in a Jeep. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up at the median. BMW hit us at 100 miles an hour. We're into this. I don't have any particular emotional connection to that anymore. The emotion is gone. Nobody died. You know, the army lost a Jeep. What the heck? That happens all the time. So again, don't confuse joy with emotion. Emotions are transient. Emotions are very powerful. And the temptation is going to be to be captured by emotion and lose track of joy, especially when you're going through something that's tough. And what the scripture says is if you're not going through something tough right now, just wait a while, you will in a minute. That's the way this world is designed. And what God is saying to you is don't get caught up in the trials and afflictions that you go through that, by the way, he very often is putting you through don't get caught up in those and lose track of your joy. Now, I mentioned this at Midrash last week, and for those of you who weren't there, I'm going to do it again. For those of you who were there, I'm going to repeat. There's a lady named Edith Egger. She's a Holocaust survivor. She became a psychiatrist, and she wrote a book called The Choice, and I'm quoting from that. And she's talking about victimization and victimhood. Again, notice, two different words, spelled differently. Victimization. We are all likely to be victimized in some way in the course of our lives. At some point, we will suffer some kind of affliction or calamity or abuse caused by circumstances or people or institutions over which we have little or no control. This is life, and this is victimization. It comes from the outside. In contrast, victimhood comes from the inside. No one can make you a victim but you. We become victims not because of what happens to us, but when we choose to hold on to our victimization. We develop a victim's mind, a way of thinking, and being that is rigid, blaming, pessimistic, stuck in the past, unforgiving, punitive, and without healthy limits or boundaries. Has anybody watched some of these demonstrations on the news? Pick your victim group. 
women are victims. That's half of the population. Over Thanksgiving, Native Americans are victims, so we can't do Thanksgiving anymore because they were victims. We did slavery, so blacks are victims. Pick your victim group. And everybody is looking for a victim group to join because our society gives them power over other people. And these people are rigid, blaming, pessimistic, stuck in the past, unforgiving, punitive, and without healthy limits or boundaries. Look at our discourse. Somebody goes up to be confirmed to some government position. Like ants, people come out of the woodwork and talk about stuff that he or she did 20 years ago and how that person is not a worthy human being because of something that happened in high school. And the fact that people listen to that is a pathology. One of David's psalms says, do not hold against me the sins of my youth. Anybody ever been a youth? Anybody ever did anything stupid while he was a youth? Worst thing that ever happened to me as a lieutenant, they gave me a flamethrower. I was 25 years old and I had a flamethrower. It is by the grace of God that I didn't wipe out half my platoon. Stupid. Everybody has been young and stupid. It goes with being human. And people who are victims are stuck somewhere where they have been convinced that they are victims. Now, what Miss Iger says is you are at times going to be a victim. It goes with being human. It goes with living in the world. But you don't have to internalize that. And that's the difference. And what God is saying is joy is your remedy for victimization. And you get that from knowledge of your relationship to God, your relationship to your community. And remember I said rejoicing always happens in a crowd. A thank offering, a toda, is designed so you can't eat it by yourself. The only way you can bring a toda is to bring a crowd with you because there's going to be more lamb to eat than you can consume. It's by design. Joy comes from relationship and community. And if you are strong in your relationship and your community, you will, of course, as we all do, support each other when occasionally you become a victim of something else. you got people, you got God around you to help you out and go through those. That's what a community is for. Satan wants to destroy that. And the way he destroys it is by getting people, instead of focusing on their relationship to the community and their place in God's kingdom, get them focusing inside on me, 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 me. This has happened to me and it's unjust. And I am mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. That's what victimization does, is it focuses you in instead of focusing you out. Joy is the antidote for that. And as I say, joy is a weapon. That's why Satan is trying to destroy it. That's why Satan is proliferating all these victim groups. Because he knows that once you get absorbed into one of those groups and you become self-absorbed and your victimhood becomes your entire life, then he's got you. Because you won't be any more use to God's kingdom. You will not be any more use in the kingdom of God because you are now focused on what happened to you or your group or your class or whatever it is. And you are focused on that and you are angry and you are bitter and you are self-centered and you are totally useless to God. 
And that's why God commands joy. Because unless he tells us to do it, our natural inclination is to get wrapped up in ourselves and look at our poor wounded little hearts and just, oh, poor me. Life is so unfair. I've been victimized by my boss, by my wife, by my kids, by whatever. Look at poor me. And when you curl up inside like that, you lose your joy. And what God has got to tell you over and over and over again in Scripture is no. You're going to go through these hard times, but joy is your strength and joy is your purpose for living. Really important because this world will try and knock you off your axis about every 20 minutes. As I say, if life is going good for you right now, just wait a few minutes, it'll change. And it'll change back. It goes both ways. That's why I say you can't chase emotion. Emotion is not a reliable indicator of what's going on. For those of you who ever flown an airplane, one of the things my instructor taught me very early is do not chase your instruments. Take your plane and put it where you want it. You don't chase your instruments. Your emotions are your instruments. They're an indicator of stuff that's going on. They're very important. God gave them to you. They're wonderful. But don't chase them. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out what your relation to God is and operate on that basis. The equivalent of taking the airplane and put it where you want it. So your circumstances should not, must not, define your joy. God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. God sends you the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. God does not describe the Holy Spirit as the problem solver. Solving problems is your job. He'll comfort you in that process. And when you fall down and you get your knees skinned and your ego bruised and all those kinds of things, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. That's one of his jobs. He's the comforter. He is not the problem solver. He has not been sent to fix your problems. He's been sent to comfort you as you go through life, both in joy and in pain. That's his job. Now, last thing I'm going to say. As you look at our national news and you see this absolute stew of turmoil out there with people yelling and screaming and protesting and all of the stuff that's going on in the news, rejoice. Because what that means is we are winning. In other words, if the joy of God's people was not prevailing, then you wouldn't see this hysteria out there where people are trying to draw you into their emotional pageant. The stronger the uproar out there, the stronger the indication that we're winning. Regardless of how you think about Mr. Trump, I happen to like the guy you don't have to. But as you look at the guy, one of the things you should notice is he's having a great time. I'm serious. And it drives his enemies absolutely bonkers. That is the use of joy as a weapon. Regardless of how you think about his policies or any of that stuff, just observe the man. He is having a great time. And that is absolutely driving his enemies crazy. And as you see the noise and everything ratchet up and they get louder and louder and louder, what you're seeing is the power of joy. You're seeing the power of joy at work because 
What they're trying to do is they are trying to knock that smile off his face. You want to be like that. As I say, I'm not shilling for President Trump right now. I'm talking about an attitude. You want to be able to go through life and have Satan look at you and say, I'm going to wipe the smile off that guy's face. And if he can't do it, then you win. Remember what James says, count it all joy when you go through trials. That's what he's saying. You got the right relationship with God as you go through the trials of life and Satan is trying to knock the smile off your face, you know that you're in the right place. Remember, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a state of being.